Would you have the honor to behave like a coward? Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, and this is the one where we dive deeper into the books that we're reading to find the juicy, useful information. Perhaps we can philosophize a little bit on the past and examine some things that used to be in the past, which is what we're going to be doing today. We are looking at Eugene Onjin by Alexander Pushkin, also known as Evgeny Onishin, something like that. My Russian is not super, super good. <laughs> this book was published in 1833, although the final edition was kind of established in 1837, and it was originally published in a series of parts in the 1820s, so a bit of a storied history to it. It's about 230 pages in length and probably took me about five hours to get through in total. So, and this in particular was the translation by James E. Fallon. This is mostly poetry, so a novel in verse of an unhappy Russian dandy. So, Onegin, Evgeny, he is a, a sort of wealthy, I guess, socialite, you might call it, um, from born in the city and raised there, about 26 uh, years of age, but he's, he's very kind of disillusioned with life. He's sick of flirting with the women. He's sick of all the pleasures of balls and wealth and things like that. And he ends up moving out into the countryside, which he kind of hopes is going to fix his, his malaise, I guess, with life. But he ends up finding, nope, there's still people out there who are gossiping. There's still, you know, flirtatious women trying to uh, ensnare people and things like that. And there is still other young men who are, are kind of excited, full of life and don't see the, the bitterness and cruelness that actually exists within. So we, we see him interacting with these characters, for example, with uh, Tatiana, who he has a somewhat off and on relationship, which exists throughout the entire the entire book. This uh, man called Vladimir Lensky, who was his friend initially, who he somewhat emphasizes with, um, sympathizes with, because he used to be like him, young and full of life and whatnot. And they end up having a, a very a rather large disagreement. I'll, I'll put it like that. Originally, the book, the actual chapter style and whatnot was written with eight chapters or nine originally, but some were taken out with each of these having about 40 to 50 stanzas. And in each stanza, there is about 14 lines of, of actual text. So I'll just read one out here picked randomly. Uh, um, meanwhile, on engine's presentation at Madame Lorraine's country seat produced at large a great sensation and gave the neighbors quite a treat. So that's the kind of style of pattern that goes into, although it does have a very unique rhyme scheme across the whole of it, which I will talk about a little bit later. Who is Pushkin and why is this book interesting? What makes it distinct? Well, he is probably the most famous Russian author in many ways, uh, maybe not today, but certainly in his time and even probably a century ago, he would have been the most famous a lot of the people who I've reviewed on this channel before, such as Tolstoy, Dostoyevsky, Nabokov, and Solzhenitsyn, I think all of them praise him. And, and it seems like all Russian authors give praise to, to Pushkin because of his poetry, his verse, his writing. This is the one book, I guess, that you'd say of his is most closest to a novel, with most of his others being kind of more pure poetry. 
He died at the very young age of 37 when he was involved with a duel, which is actually setting us up for our very first theme or the one and only theme I've really taken from this, which is dueling, a deadly code of honor. Yeesh. So within the book, I I kind of hinted at it, but um, uh, Onegin has this duel with his former friend Lenski. And uh, spoilers here, um, there's sort of like Vladimir tricks Onegin into going to this ball, which he didn't want to go to. Uh, So in retaliation, Onegin flirts with his fiance, which then triggers him to, um, you know, demand some honor, uh, demand some compensation and fight, fight him in a duel, which is arranged by a man called Zaretsky. And so I'm going to read out here the, the kind of actual duel that happens. So this is on page 146 and this is where we get into it. Uh, approach at will advancing coldly with quiet firm and measured tread not aiming yet the foes took boldly the first four steps that lay ahead for fateful steps the space decreasing one edge and then while still not ceasing his slow advance was first to raise his pistol with a level gaze five paces more while Lenski waited to close one eye and only then to take his aim and that was when one edge and fired the hour fated had struck at last the poet stops and silently his pistol drops so they basically get into this fight and uh, one agent kills Lenski. And I guess this is getting into the, the deeper question here, which was, is this barbaric or not? You, you could look at this and go, oh my God, you know, two former friends, they fight each other and they fight to the death. There's no, you know, kind of rhyme nor reason to it. There's this just people killing each other left, right and sent. You could just ask someone for a duel and sort of the code of honor would dictate they would have to do this. And I was actually researching a little bit more into dueling and the kind of the point of it was not to kill, but was to gain the satisfaction to mm, be able to prove your worth and is mostly reserved for male nobility. And this is not just in Russia, but this was in across many countries across the world throughout Asia, but it's kind of especially renowned for in Europe, even here in Australia for a little bit. And it's kind of this willingness to risk your life, which is, which is the point of it. And it's funnily enough, when I actually look at to, to how sort of honor gets restored now, you look and say, oh, it's the law system. We, we sue each other. <laughs> that's, that's how we do it. And it's honestly, it's actually, there's a, I think there can be a case to be made for dueling, which is it's somewhat more equal in a way, because if you're, you know, two people have a disagreement over something and, uh, you know, this could result from uh, a flirtatious woman, like a, a cheating wife or something like that, or fighting over the same woman or um, a debt, which has not been repaid, a an oath, which was sworn, which was not fulfilled, things like that. Many of the same reasons that you will see people going and suing each other nowadays or um, especially for individual cases, I'm not talking about corporations and things like that. But, you know, there's fr- frivolous lawsuits and whatnot where if you're not wealthy, well, then you're, you're kind of stuffed. You, you don't, you won't, you will run out of money before the process even is finished. And so you could also, you could almost say is like, oh, well, dueling is somewhat equalizing in a way because it's just two people going up against each other with with you know you only need to be able to raise a pistol and and fire um to to satisfy the 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 kind of code of honor which is happening a little bit different if you're dueling with um sabers and things like that which uh requires a bit more 
um, technique, but although you could say that firing a pistol as well does require a bit of technique. But it's it, funnily enough, I'm yeah. I, I, even though I'm, I'm very against violence, I I'm somewhat okay if it's willing participants. If it's two willing participants who are uh, engaging in a contract of violence, they know the outcomes of what is likely to happen. So it's funnily enough, I'm I'm not as against this as uh, as you might have thought from the surface. It does get to the question though of of social pressure and how willing the participants actually were. And this is getting into the kind of the, the code of honor part of, of dueling, which is Wanagen could not apologize. And I'm going to go here to page 138, where we see the initial letter comes in and he is kind of reflecting on uh, his own response to this letter of, uh, of the, the challenge to a duel. And so he goes... Uh, he could have shown some spark of feeling instead of bristling like a beast. He should have spoken words of healing, disarmed youth's heart, or tried at least. Too late, he thought, the moment's wasted. What's more, that dueling fox has tasted. His chance to mix in this affair, that wicked gossip with his flair. For jibes and all foul dominion, he's hardly worth contempt, I know. But fools will whisper, grin, and crow. So there it is, the mob's opinion. The spring with which our honors wound, the god that makes this world go round. And so he's really reflecting upon... Oh, I made a mistake here. Like I, I was the one in the wrong last night. I should have been a little bit more, well, one, I shouldn't have done that. But now, you know, even in the response to this duel coming in, I should have apologized and, and said, no, I'm, 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 he, he first initially says, I'm very prepared. I'm quite prepared to, to challenge you in this, in this duel. But, uh, you know, upon a minute later reflection, he goes, damn it. You know, I, I I wish I didn't say that, and uh, I, I I don't actually want to fight him. I was in the wrong. I want to apologize. Yet there was all of these attempts that he makes subsequently to to ra- ratify rectify the situation. They all end up being <laughs> kind of ignored or or dictated by people outside of the two participants, i.e., Lensky and and Onigen. Uh, and it's now society's playing its role. So, you know, he, by society's standards, he's not allowed to initiate the apology. It has to be done by uh, another person coming forward and ask him if he wants to apologize. Uh, in this case, it's Zaretsky, who was that kind of fool that he was referring to there as being who's kind of bloodthirsty and wants to see this battle happen and whatnot. There's other things that he does. He, he shows up late to the duel, which usually means that he should be have forfeited it. But no, this doesn't happen. He appoints his second as a uh, a random his his groomsman, I think, for who's who um, takes him to to the actual duel, who drives him there. Uh, once again, this is kind of outside of society's dictates and should have um, received a kind of cancelling of the duel, but no, still went forward. And he also shoots very quickly and does it in a somewhat, not haphazard way, but without really intending to harm him. Another thing that he could have done was shoot in the air, but uh, by dictates of, of dueling, if you purposefully miss this can be a demand for a rematch. So <laughs> doesn't know. You're kind of screwed once you're, you're stuck in this situation. So it's very interesting that it's, it's how much of this was actually willing participants of, of dueling and how much of it was actually kind of enforced by society. And 
you were you were kind of stuck and screwed no matter what you know if you purposefully miss that is grounds for doing a redo <laughs> it's like geez you can't you can't escape it so the the honor part of this is is kind of fascinating as well so it's like what drives someone to to demand a jewel or two people to to have a jewel and this was i was kind of looking it up and it was the bond between an individual and society and its honor is kind of showing that your your worthiness through valor honesty compassion chivalry all of those kind of good traits and the funny thing is this is where it's flipped on its head and it goes okay well there's this honor which you're you're meant to show your worthiness of of all these nice traits well onegin was compassionate for his friend he was uh wanted to be honest with him he wanted to be you know show valor and, and chivalry but it was like the the rules that were set in place meant that he wasn't allowed to do this so funnily enough even though he was you know demonstrating honor in one sense by society standard by going to the jewel in i think a more real sense he was not showing as much honor or at least the things that define honor by not being able to be compassionate and go to his friend and say look i screwed up i, I didn't want to do that you know can you please forgive me so he he didn't break the code and there's this um kind of thing that was derived from this book of Eugene Onegin, Evgeny, which was the superfluous man, which is, so this is this kind of Russian concept of uh, a man who has usually of, of wealth and privilege, who has kind of tasted the world enough and becomes somewhat bitter and cynical. And, um, you know, they'll break a lot of social conventions. Uh, so they'll be, they'll be drinking, they'll gamble, They'll, you know, act badly at, at balls or these, you know, other, he'll break other social conventions. And yet it was funnily enough, he, he wasn't superfluous enough in this case because he couldn't escape the above. He couldn't, he couldn't express all the good values that he actually had within him. And he had to kind of go through with this for enforced socially enforced contract um to basically murder his best friend at the time so yeah the dueling a very strange case and uh it's certainly i'm, I'm even though i made a an interesting i thought it was interesting i, th I think in in general it's, it's probably a bad thing which is taking me into my own observations and takeaways so I'm glad it died out, but it was funnily, it seemed it to be from more social pressure rather than state violence. So if you know much about dueling, there was long periods where it was banned and the way that they would enforce this ban is through violence. So <laughs> it was the, the state, you know, the, the government would dictate there's no more dueling allowed. And if you duel, we're going to kill you <laughs> or we'll put you to death or we'll put you in prison. We'll, we'll take away your... Uh, your your right to freedom and, and whatnot which is absolutely hilarious when you think about it so it's very interesting that it, it and look I'm, i don't know that much about dueling I'm, I'm sort of just going based on some stuff i've read was it, it seemed that society was was dictating it probably because they people in general were realizing oh even if i want to apologize i can't and i can't resolve this situation it has to be at the behest of the other person to ask me if I want to apologize. And if they just want to kill me and they want to fight, I can't back out of it, um, really. 
And yeah, so it was, uh, it was very intriguing that this, this whole period occurred and, um, it, it sort of speaks about, would this ever be initiated again in, in nowadays, uh, especially in more of like a, a technological world is, is this necessary? Uh, my thoughts are it's, it's probably because it's so subjective of what triggers a jewel. It's all the very human things. It's emotions. It's not, it's not, you know, written in, in code and law and things like that. Uh, of of what actually triggers a jewel it seems to be this person insulted my honor uh, i'm gonna demand satisfaction i think we've moved away from that a, a lot and um, especially with regards to uh, i suppose the money side of things or or things where it's he said she she said of something objective like he said he would pay this much money and he didn't I think there's enough systems in place now where, yeah, that's not necessary. But yeah, I don't know. I just find this whole dueling stuff pretty pretty fascinating in a way. I'm going to read something from page 14, which is stanza 22, which uh, I think just highlights a uh, an aspect of the book which I really like uh, on the actual poetic style. So... While all those Cupid's devil serpents upon the stage still romp and roar, and while the weary band of servants still sleeps on thirds at carriage door, and while the people still are tapping, still stifling, coughing, hissing, clapping, and while the lamps both in and out still glitter grandly all about, and while the horses board at tether still fidget freezing in the snow, and coachmen by the fire's glow curse masters and beat palms together, one engine now has left the scene and driven home to change in preen. I just love this. I really, really love this style of poetry. Uh, there's something actually pretty fascinating about the the rhyme scheme, which I hinted at right at the start. So it follows this, uh, and I'll, I'll <laughs> it's much easier to see, but it's A, B, A, B, C, C, D, D, E, F, F, E, G, G. So it's, it kind of alternates, and hopefully you heard it when I read it out then. The other really cool bit about this is how the syllables are stressed. So um, it's kind of the A's, the C's, the E's are all capitalized, which means that is where the syllable hits um, the, the end point, serpents. Um, or, um, uh, serp- sorry, the syllable is stressed on the uh, second to last. And on most of the others, raw, door, uh, so this is the B's, D's, and G's, scene, preen, snow, glow. They're all stressed on the, the last syllable. So this is known as kind of masculine and feminine um, uh, words, I guess. And this is known as the Pushkin sonnet or the on-engine stanza. And so he created basically this this rhyme scheme, which is kind of renowned. Um, you know, I don't read that much poetry, so I don't know how much it is in use nowadays or has been in use over the over the, the centuries since since this was published. But man, what a very very interesting style! And what I'm amazed at as is this has been translated from Russian. So not only did I like love this English portion, but how how would it have sounded in the Russian? It, it must have. It must be beautiful. <laughs> and uh, so, very like big props to the translator for this because that would be so hard. Uh, tr- you know, keeping the rhyming scheme whilst also keeping this alternating um, 
you know, stress of the syllable for certain sections of it. And combining this with the fact that, you know, the word raw is not going to sound like raw, you know, raw and and saw are not going to rhyme in in Russian, most likely. So, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm absolutely amazed at at how well this this works in in English, and makes me wonder what it is like in in the Russian. And then finally, just on the book itself, the it alternates between many things. It, it can be very serious at times, and then it can be silly at other times. There's actual events that are happening place and a plot that's driving it forward. And then sometimes the narrator will just kind of be musing on, on these random topics and, and kind of go down his own path. I, I found there was there's so much contained within this book. And I, if I was super, super literally, literarily uh, <laughs> inclined, I would probably be going man, this is really worth diving into and, you know, doing a university or a course or semester or something or something upon that because it seems like there's a lot packed into here in terms of the actual composition of, of the work and, and how it all works together. So, yeah, I was, um, there's, there's, this book has, has oh, so many things. So, in summary, it's easily my favorite poetry that I've read by far. Uh, not only does the style roll off the tongue, but the characters, the scenery, the plot, the narration, they, they all kept me hooked and it felt like there was a, a deep well of, of what you could actually take from the book within there. Uh, my only gripe is that I couldn't read it in the Russian because I don't know Russian. So uh, I'm going to give Alexander Pushkin's Eugene Onjin or Evgeny Onegin a 8.5 out of 10. I, I find it a pretty fantastic book. So highly recommended poetry wise. And that is it for today, my meme model ads. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on Alexander Pushkin, on Evgeny Onegin, on Russian poetry? I would love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is via sending in a Boostergram. So Boostergram is a message that you can send within the actual podcasting app that you're listening to. And it comes through directly to me and with timestamps from when you sent it in. So it is a highly um, personalized and I always read these out. And so to send this in, you'll need to uh, upload a bit of Bitcoin, some lightning Satoshis onto your podcasting app. And from there, you just hit the boost button, send it in. I always read these out in my end of month book recaps where I also provide a bit more additional details for from these books that I'm reading. And yeah, I've just, uh, that's the way that this show runs. It's a value for value show. Uh, I do all of these things free of charge for you. You can take it as you, as you have it. Um, but I also just ask that you return that back. So there's many ways you can do that. You could share this with a friend. You could give me some extra details, some interesting notes and, and things that you might know about uh, this particular work or that perhaps I missed out on. And you can also support me uh, monetarily because it does cost a little bit of money to keep this podcast running. And it would be nice to be compensated for that. So you choose the amount, you choose how much value you got from listening in. And I am just thankful for every way that you can support. Uh, and I would also just recommend checking out the Mere Mortals podcast because that is where I have conversations with my friend Juan, who also appears on this channel pre pretty regularly. And, you know, the topics that we talk about involve a lot of the things that we read from these books 
from ideas that we're having in general from life. So we'll just highly recommend checking out that as well. So wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having a non-superfluous day, especially if you're in cold, cold Russia. And until the next time, Kyron out.